What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Thank you so much for being a part of America's Dance 30 and following and subscribing to America's Dance 30, the podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, counting down the biggest dance songs in the country every week on stations around the world. Just check americasdance30.com for stations, days, and times. It's Brian Fink. I am Brian Fink on Instagram. We were supposed to be chatting with Peggy Goo all about her smash it goes like na 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 and find out how the song was born plus get to know peggy goo a little better uh unfortunately her and her management i guess feel that they are too busy for us because they confirmed had me prep all the questions and send them to her in advance so that she could be ready Come in early to record with her because she was going to be in South Korea and then postponed because she wasn't in Korea. She was traveling and then confirmed again and then postponed again and then canceled. So we will not be chatting with Peggy Goo and I am fine with that. America's Dance 30 moves on perfectly without her. Instead, this week... We will be getting to know Gareth Emery, who is one of the most prolific trance, dance, EDM producers and DJs around. And we almost lost him. So this is another episode from my previous podcast, The Seesaw Sessions, and it is a perfect example of why you can never quit and you have to have to keep going if you want something bad enough. Without further ado, the amazing Gareth Emery. Dance. America's Dance 30. Counting down the biggest dance songs in the country. This is America's Dance 30. Uh, Gareth, do you know how many songs you've produced? Oh, over the years. I, I don't keep good records. It's hundreds, though. I'd wow. guess three to four hundred. Um, I last counted over a decade ago and it was about a hundred then. So uh, it's a lot. <laughs> and do you know how many shows you've done? Like how many festivals and clubs have you? Have, you probably lost count with that, too. Yeah, I don't keep good records. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to be better at that. But, you know, things have often moved so fast at times uh, it's just hard to sort of stop and sort of look around and appreciate what's going on but you know of the years when I did the most gigs and, and now I try to be a bit more selective to have time for sort of family and studio but for a good few years I'll do sort of 150 160 gigs a year um, I probably did that for seven or eight years so there's a good thousand then and, uh, and now I probably still do like 70 or 80 so I've slowed down a bit. And then you've got three studio albums, right? Three studio albums, yeah, and a bunch of mixed compilations and stuff. But yeah, those are the ones I'm most proud of, the the studio albums. And a fourth just about to drop. Yes. Gareth Emery, thank you for being my guest. Uh, Pleasure to be here. So before we get into how we almost didn't have any of that... 
we almost didn't have trans classics like Concrete Angel, like on a good day. Or, uh, Gareth, how you made me cry. I'm going to tell you that coming oh, up. I've heard, I've heard this from a few people. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do the three words. Every episode of the Seesaw Sessions, I have my guests give the three words that they feel best describes them so that we can get an idea of how they think of themselves in their own minds. Gareth, what three words best describe you? Oh, gosh, that's difficult. Um, It's funny, isn't it? I'm perfectly capable of telling long, rambling stories about myself, but ask me to (laughs) pin it down to three words, and that is difficult. Uh, So let's go with uh, resilient. Um, I definitely have got good at not giving up when things get tough. Um, anxious. I think a lot, a, a lot of my success comes down to some sort of anxiety about what would happen if I didn't have it, um, without wanting to psychoanalyze myself too much. And um, I don't, I don't know what the third one would be. Like songwriter, maybe. I've been, I've been having a lot of fun discovering myself as a writer of songs as well as being just a producer. So we'll, I'm, I'm sure, given a day, I could have done better, but we'll, we'll go with those. And I, I, I definitely think fun should be one of them, uh, because obviously with the CVNT5 that you guys did, <laughs> and every time, that I've was ha- fun, yeah. every time I've had you come through with uh, Evolution and iHeartRadio, you've always been fun doing interviews. So so I would, I would definitely think that fun describes you as well. I try and make it fun. Try and make it fun. It, 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 I think this business can be too serious a lot of the time. And um, yeah, you got, you got to enjoy it, right? you got to enjoy what you're doing. Amen. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday. I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VDW Group. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Now, did I see that you had a degree in politics when you came out of college? I did. Uh, Warwick University is where I went to college, which it's amazingly is actually one of the UK's best universities. So um, that was the one thing I did to keep my parents happy. Went to a good <laughs> college, got a degree in politics, and um, I haven't really done too much um, after that. To Well, no, like in the five years after that, I kind of sat in my room and played on computers. So um, they were a little disappointed following that, but they were happy with the degree in politics. Now, leading up to that, what did you want to be when you were a kid? It was always music, right? Music was always my thing. and um, But I just didn't come from a background where becoming a professional musician was even, you know, in the portfolio of options. Um, you know, I was a very middle class family. My parents were teachers and all we knew was conventional jobs. And and sure, my parents would have known that musicians existed, like they knew bands existed. And they obviously were aware that there were people whose entire job was was writing and playing music. (laughs) But that was just never something that was ever discussed, like ever. So, you know, growing up, what was kind of pushed on me, being a doctor, that was the prime job. 
um, you know, doctors in England tend to receive these like superhero levels of, of, of reverence. Um, so it was being a doctor or an accountant or a lawyer or, or something like that. And I remember a big change for me was when I first listened to NWA, hip hop group, very different to what I ended up doing. But I remember Dr. Dre was setting one of the songs. He was like making more in a week than a doctor makes in a year. And I remember I was only like 12 years old, but I was thinking more in a week than a doctor makes a year. You've got to qualify for seven years to be a doctor. And yet Dr. Dre is making more. I was like, and he's a record producer. I'm going to be a record producer. You're like, screw this whole doctor thing. <laughs> yeah, Dr. Dre's Dr. Dre's making more. So um, that was kind of, and that stuck with me, right? You know, and, and even sort of nearly 30 years on, I still remember hearing that lyric and, and kind of the, the impression it had on me. So I think music was always my thing. It was always, I wasn't good at sports, even though I loved sports. So that wasn't going to be a viable career choice. So I think it was always going to be music. And if people had said to me, you know, age 12 or 13, what do you want to do? It would have been music. But then, of course, you do your school qualifications and then you go to college and nobody in the career advice section is going, hey, <laughs> you can be a famous DJ. Um, it's like, what bank do you want to work for? Is it going to be, you know, JP Morgan or Merrill Lynch or, I don't know, Goldman Sachs or, or whatever? So I didn't really know. And I just knew I wanted to work for myself rather than other people. Now, we had the guys at Cash Cash who were also a punk electro pop group before going into EDM. Okay. I, I know you were in a punk band. How did you go from being in a punk band in the 90s to making trance music? Yeah, we had a few bands and I had one at school that was really good and um, we were like 14 or 15 and we played in all the local pubs. And then I had one at college, which was, which was more of a fun band. And... I did both things simultaneously, you know, I liked both genres and for most of my time at college I played in the punk band and I was also making dance music on the side and when I first heard trance, which ended up being the musical genre that would kind of define my career, it was a night on our college and um, I didn't know what music they were playing because back then it was all white label vinyl so we'd go out and I'd hear this music and I was like wow this music is amazing but what is it and um, I was like it's not like any house music I've ever heard because I didn't care too much for house music at that point and a friend of mine said no no it's not house it's kind of trancey that was the first time I ever heard the word and then that year Ministry of Sound released uh, Trance Nation which finally this music had a name and I think it's easy to forget how inaccessible dance music was 20 years ago. Um, there was no Shazam, there was no Spotify, the internet was in its infancy. So you'd go out and hear stuff and you'd often never ever find out what it was. So yeah, I figured out soon trance was my thing, that was what I wanted to do. And for years I made trance records, or I also made records in the band and I kind of thought whichever one takes off first, that's what I'm doing. And Luckily for me, Electronic took off first. Yeah. Because um, I th think I've had much more longevity on my own than I than I would have had in, in a band. And lucky for us, too, or else we would have never had Gareth Emery. Right, exactly. I got to be honest, I, I've been a huge fan of your music because it, it's so melodic and the lyrics for most of them are so amazing. But I had no idea about the story of you almost walking away from it all until you posted on Instagram. Yeah. Let's go through this really quick. Now, your first dance release was 
what, 2002? It was 2002. That was my first professional release, yeah. And in 2003, you released Mistral, right? Yeah, Mistral was like late 2002, but it, it popped in 2003. That was when everybody sort of heard it, I think. And how did it blow up? It began with Paul Van Dyke, and I was sending out white-label vinyls of my previous release to a bunch of DJs, and I'd just finished the first draft of Mistral, and I was sending this vinyl of a completely different release to Paul Van Dyke, and something just told me to throw in this Mistral CD, and it was unlabeled, it didn't have a name. So I sent him this vinyl, and I was like, well, he's not going to play either of them anyway, because it was very difficult to get DJs to play your stuff, especially as a newcomer. <laughs> but I was like, you know what, I'll, I'll throw it in there. Maybe I felt it would be more his thing. So I chucked in the CD Mistral, and then... The next, like a couple of weeks later, my friend sends me a message on MSN Messenger. Um, don't know if anybody remembers that, but it was kind of uh, <laughs> what we all used to use back then. And it was like, Paul Van Dyke is playing your f***ing track on radio wow. from the Nature One Festival in Germany. So I downloaded the set and sure enough, he was playing it. And I got a record deal from from Mistral with a, with a real record label called, called 5AM. And all of a sudden from there, it moved very, very fast because I'd been doing stuff myself. But all of a sudden with 5AM sending out my promos, I had credentials, right? I was coming from a trusted source and um, Armin loved the record. Tiesto loved it, put it on his compilation that year. Ferry Corsten loved it. So, you know, in the space of a year I kind of went from like unsigned um, you know kid doing nothing to playing all of the clubs which I'd you know um, been been looking up to like I was going to these nightclubs a year ago and then like a year later I was playing them all that is incredible you've got all the biggest trance DJs playing your song now how were you feeling when this was happening you know in like I was happy it was working and I was happy that it was finally going I I wasn't surprised like I because I felt the song was good and at the time I was just working incredibly hard on my craft trying to get better as a producer and I knew I'd been getting better for the last three or four years and I also kind of knew if I continued getting better like it was just inevitable that a record was going to blow up eventually so mainly I was just trying to capture the moment and build as much as I could so I was like I've got to get an agent I want to play these clubs and you know when you're hot and when that first record blows up things are really easy in a way because you have hype on your side and when you're the, the sort of the hot new act um you can take a lot of shortcuts so i just did everything i could to to maximize the success of, of, of that record well that's incredible that you didn't just like sit there and try to ride the wave that you actually took the opportunities that you could off of that well that the, yeah that that did come a few years later and that's how we get to nearly giving up <clears throat> but yeah when, when mistral first blew it was amazing and i rode the wave and all of a sudden i was playing these clubs that i'd been attending I was like, wow. I was like, I thought it would take me like two or three years to play all these venues and I've done them all. So I went into Australia. I got some money for a publishing advance and I gave up my job. It was like, bang, bang, bang. It just all, it just all happened fast. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? 
Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Now, let's get into the story that we've been teasing. You shared this yep. on Instagram. Uh, you talk about nearly quitting in 2006. What went on between this song blowing up and you taking all the opportunities in 2003 to 2006 when you're nearly quitting. Yeah, so the song that blew up in 2003 was a little lucky and I I don't think I'd really learned how to write a good song at that point. Um, I kind of lucked out. I stumbled on a melody that worked really well and I didn't have that much production skill set and all of a sudden I wrote this track which became, you know, one of the biggest trance records of that year so I really struggled to follow that track up 2004 nothing hit the mark that I made like nothing even close to the success of Mistral 2005 nothing hit the mark like again like not even like I made some tracks that were like nearly as big like it wasn't going from like a number one hit to like a number three hit it was going from like a number one hit to a track that didn't even break like the top 100 that's the level of my of my follow-ups and with hindsight I just had to learn right I had to learn how to write music well um I'd bought a load of gear which I didn't really know how to use and so 2004 and 2005 the buzz on me just went and it was a really good lesson in how important hype is and when that hype goes how hard things can become so what I didn't realize was 2003 was my year I made my big record and I had the hype but 2004 and 2005 they were other people's years and other artists made the big records and other people got that hype and other people got the gigs. So all of a sudden, the clubs I was getting booked at in 2003, they didn't want me in 2004 oh my and 2005. God. And I think 2004 was probably good enough because hype, the hype still lasted. And in 2005, it just went down and down and down. And I couldn't follow it up. And um, so then we hit 2006. And for the first three months of, of the year... I didn't have a single single professional gig. Not, oh not my one. god! Yeah, not 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 a single one. And um, just before the three months of nothing, I went to Singapore for a show, and I got paid five hundred pounds for the show. And it, it was kind of a demo. And I stayed like four days because I had nothing else going on. And it was kind of a demonstration of how things change. When I'd first gone there in two thousand and three, the promoters wanted to take me out for dinner. Like I was hot. Like they wanted to hang with me. It was like, wow, we want to see what Gareth's like. Going back in like 2006, nobody cared. I was like, just the driver like picked me up. Never even saw the promoters. I, I just, I was no longer the hot property. I was no longer that interesting. And I remember just walking around Singapore for four days on my own. Like I, I didn't have a girlfriend. I was like on my own. It just sucked, right? And I was like, wow. I was like, this is, this feels like it's coming to an end. So I go back home 
and I speak to my friends, speak to my family, and my mum was like, yeah, it probably is time to, to knock this on the head. <laughs> oh, um, man. Yeah, and I, and I talked to some mates, and, like, one of my mates, and I still lived at home, right? So, like, I was making maybe $12,000 a year, lived at home with my parents rent-free. I was 26. Like, my friends were in jobs where they're making real money with career prospects and in, like, pension plans, and their entire lives were stretching ahead of them. And I literally, you know, I was four years out, five years out of university, and I'd really, like, not done much. So I'd say to mates, what should I do? And, And one of my best mates, and he was a big fan of mine, he goes... Well, you know, he goes, you're a great DJ. He goes, I really think you're a brilliant DJ. He said, but you're 25 years old and you're still living with your parents. He goes, I think maybe you've taken this as far as, as you can do it. Oh, so I start applying for jobs. <laughs> I talked to a friend of mine that worked at the investment bank Credit Suisse. And I was like, I said, mate, can you, can you get me in there? Um, and he goes, well, I probably can. He goes, but you're coming in five years late. And he said, you know, <laughs> he said a 22-year-old is going to have seniority over you. Um, and he said, are you going to be all right with joining this bank? And you're literally bottom of the ladder and you'll have some snotty 22-year-old who's like a year out of university telling you telling you what to do. He goes, I don't think you're going to enjoy it. So, you know, none of the jobs I applied for really, really came through. And then there was a turning point, which I'll always remember. And, and my dad had never, he's quite, kind of doesn't have much to say about this stuff. So he'd never been encouraging or discouraging, just kind of like, let me do my own thing. And one dinner, I was like, yeah, I'm getting a job. I'm, I'm, I'm giving up. And he just looked at me. He goes, goes, you haven't tried. And I was like, are you f-ing joking? I work so hard, which I thought I did. And he goes, you don't. He goes, you lie in bed till midday. He goes, you sit up there. He said, you're not making music. He said, you're messing around on websites. You're reading what people are writing about you on the internet. You're posting on message boards. He's like, you're, you're, not, you're not doing your job. And I went nuts because I could not handle the truth at that point and I was almost like how dare you I've worked so f-ing hard <laughs> but something about that conversation the little voice was like maybe he is right and in some ways I wanted to prove this is ridiculous I almost wanted to prove that I had tried my hardest and then I could give up and he'd have to shut his mouth <laughs> so I was like you know what I'm going to give myself six months to try and turn this around and Look, you can't turn around a career in six months. It takes a lot longer than that. Right. However, we got some green shoots. So the first thing I did, started my podcast. And again, I did this because I literally had nothing to do. I was like, well, I've got all day sitting around. Let's make a podcast. And that became the Gareth Emery podcast, which ended up running for 10 years and sort of over 400 episodes. And was was a really amazing thing for my career. And then I met my girlfriend, who is now my wife, a couple of months later. So that kind of fell into place. And with her, all of a sudden... Um, I kind of had somebody else to pull for other than me. And later that year, I made one track. I was at a collaboration with Lange that finally popped again. And it was four years after Mistral. Like I took four years and I couldn't follow this song up. And it didn't go bigger, but it went about the same. And I like after that, I was like, like I wasn't a one-hit wonder because w- what I was doing, when I was down... I was reading what people were saying about me on the internet. Oh, God. Everyone was writing me off. Firstly, like, it was tumbleweed. Like, nobody gave a f***. And I remember reading this message board. I remember the poster. And there was a post about my new album, right? And it was a compilation album. And nobody really gave a s***. A few people talking about it. And one person wrote, he should just give up. Oh, God. That comment had really stuck me. He should just give up. And I ended up nearly giving up. I'm sure the poster is, that person that wrote that message is not listening to this now. <laughs> <laughs> but, if, 
but if they are I'm sat here looking over looking over Los Angeles and life's worked out pretty well so yeah you know I, I <laughs> I got in a funk and to me I'd lost my confidence and it seemed like there was no way out and in reality it was my it was my own fault and nobody else was to blame and I love how you say that in the video and you know I, I, I definitely want to get into more positive stuff like saving light but before we leave this what was it like during that time how did you get through because I mean you're at a high and then all of a sudden you're pretty much at your lowest point where nothing is clicking how did you make it through that time? Um, well, I mean, I didn't make it through well. I mean, I, I blamed the world, right? I blamed politics for the fact that I was not, my music wasn't going well. I was like, yeah, he just does, the leaders are not playing it because it's political, because I'm like a threat to them or whatever. And um, like for everything, I had an excuse and it was never my fault. I'd never, and you know, I, I didn't have any real mentors. So I didn't have anybody to say to me, hey, you're kind of to blame here in a way um, and it's much easier to stay in our funk when we're convinced because look it, it's the easiest explanation in the world is the world's against us that's so easy we can all go there for everything in our life that isn't working it's not fair the world's against us um, it's other people's fault because that removes your own personal responsibility much much harder to go, this is my fault. I take responsibility. The reason I'm in a bad place is because I haven't done things that I should have done. And um, once I reached the place of personal responsibility, it became much easier. But for years, I did not take responsibility. And that and that was was kind of how why I was in that place for so long. That is so incredible. And it's so incredible that your dad actually had that conversation with you to somewhat snap you out of it. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So let's talk about your song, Saving Light. Yeah. The video had me in tears, Gareth. Yeah, so Saving Light is actually, it, it, it been around, it, it, I wouldn't say, it's not new, it's been around a little while, um, but I reposted the video of it because I just felt not enough people had seen it, and I think a lot of people know the song, but they don't necessarily, haven't necessarily seen the video, and um, I'm about to go on tour to play all my classics, which I've never done before. It, it's kind of uh, as almost like a palate cleanser before my, before my new album. We're going to go out on the road and tour all the old stuff. And uh, yeah, that video, I just the subjects it tackles and it's kind of done so well. I could not watch it the first, yeah, I'd tear up the first nine or ten times. I saw it. It's, it's a powerful video. Yeah, absolutely. What made you want to take on bullying and suicide? Well, the, the lyrics that, that Hayley and the vocalist wrote for the song were, were kind of incredibly personal. And it was about a really tough time in her life when she had dealt with a lot of that stuff. And we were like, well, that's the meaning behind the song. Like, I kind of thought I'd love to make some sort of narrative music video that digs into that. I also knew that I would not necessarily handle the issue in the right way because I've not been in school for, for a long time. 
Um, so we actually brought in uh, an amazing British charity, uh, a bunch of people uh, called Ditch the Label, and the, the, one of the sort of internet's foremost anti-bullying charities, really amazing bunch of people. And um, we kind of got them to consult on it, and we, I sent over like a script of the music video of how it was going to go, and we said, what do you think of this? Like, are we handling the issue well? Like, I don't want to come across as like sanctimonious or preachy, like that's not what I'm trying to do, not what we're trying to do here. Um, and they were incredibly helpful in making sure we handled the issue in the right way. And we had a great director, a guy called Lee Jones, that just cast some really talented young actors in the video. And, and gosh, yeah, it, I mean, it, and I think it helps that the song is powerful. But yeah, it just came out as like an absolute tearjerker. I mean, it really was so powerful. And I, I think why it hit me even more is because I actually did go through being bullied. Damn. And so it was very easy for me to relate to. And watching this girl going through that was like, oh, oh my God, it was so powerful. So incredible job with that. Oh, thank you. And, and, you know, I think my aim with music is always just to evoke an emotion, right? And um, the only way I judge whether a song of mine is any good is whether I get an emotional response to it. And if I do, I I can't second guess how other people are going to feel, but I'm like, you know what, if this song gives me goosebumps or puts a tear in my eye or kind of creates that emotional response for me, I would hope that it does it for other people as well. So, um, yeah, and then if you can find a video that enhances the emotional impact of the song, then you're, you're kind of on, on your way. And um, and the cool thing was, I think we gave the first month of royalties to, to ditch the label and, and gave a quite decent little check to that charity. Um, so we, we did, did some good with that song as well. That is so incredible. And it, it's also incredible that philosophy that you have with your music because I kind of go into it the same way with my radio show in that, you know, I... I act like a complete idiot sometimes on the air, just trying to make myself laugh. Because I kind of figure, if I can make myself laugh, hopefully I'm making somebody else laugh as well. Right, and that's the exact way to look at it. Because it's just too difficult, and also just not fun. By the way, there are people, I imagine, comedians, who go, what do the audience want to hear? And they write jokes for the audience, but that's bloody difficult. And it's much more fun if you just go, you know what? I'm going to do what makes me laugh or I'm going to write the music that makes me feel emotional or I'm going to paint pictures that I want to look at and just have faith that there will be enough enough people that feel the same way as you um, that, will, that will come and follow you. And let me tell you that you've done an amazing job so far. So keep doing it, <laughs> Gareth. Thanks so much, man. What's next for Gareth Emery? I know you've got the album. Yeah, so the album comes out actually not until the summer, but the first single called uh, You'll Be Okay actually drops um, March 13, um, which is cool. So that's going to be out soon. And the new album's pretty interesting because it's really the first one where I didn't work with songwriters. Like in the previous albums, I was lucky to work with some amazing songwriters that would sort of, um, you know, come up with music and lyrics. And this time I was like, you know what, I just want to do it myself. So um, every song, every lyric, all written by me. And um, it's made for, it feels like my first album because that's, how personal sort of everything on this one is to me so yeah if, if people have liked the previous ones I think this is the most kind of like artistically pure kind of Gareth Emery album that, that there's been now everybody can follow you with GarethEmery.com uh, yep GarethEmery.com Gareth Emery on Instagram Twitter YouTube anywhere where there's there's people <laughs> I'll be there <laughs> MySpace <laughs> MySpace I've still, I've still got the page I'm going to update it to but it's still there 
Well, Garrett, like I said, I've been a huge fan of your music for a long time. I mean, one of my ex-girlfriend's favorite songs was Concrete Angel, so... so. Amazing. Hopefully you can still listen to it. (laughs) I do, unfortunately. Okay, okay. Gareth, it's always incredible talking to you. I'm glad I got this chance to really get to know Gareth Emery. Thank you for spending this time. Good times, Brian. Thank you so much, mate. Counting down the biggest dance songs in the country. America's Dance 30.